Babes is a comedic platform for sharing Indigenous women's worldview on all aspects of their lives. Our goal is to teach Indigenous women how to be nice to each other. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, our goal is to um, empower each other, right? And to share with each other and teach each other and so that we can all heal together absolutely and talking with like healing i don't know if we are ever fully healed we help each other even when we are going through our own tough times absolutely and what we just want to do is just have you know regular community conversations some of our topics and upcoming episodes will include empowerment decolonizing sex indigenous women entrepreneurs self-love, grief and healing, sleep and dreaming, decolonizing sexuality through art, beadwork, cultural identity, and this is just to name a few. Awesome. Sounds like a really great lineup. So you want to give us a short intro of who you are? Yeah, for sure. Ani, Stephanie Ponglish, Dijnikas, Lee Kong, Minon, Skamak, Don Jaba, Zedodem, and Chano, Miguandida. Uh, my name is Stephanie Ponglish. I currently reside in Toronto and I am from Wikwemkong and Skamuk. Awesome. So my name is Liz and I'm also known as Chance. Um, I'm an Ojibwe Odawa Potawatomi woman from Wikwemkong unceded territory. And we want to welcome you to laugh with us, learn with us, heal with us. Heal with us. Heal. Heal. <laughs> and we want to laugh along the way. Yeah. And we're yeah. so happy that you're here to join us. So check out today's podcast. Today on Anishina Babes, we discuss the topic of healing grief. We wanted to provide a short trigger warning as some of the content in this episode could be disturbing to some of our listeners. Some of the topics we discuss include addictions, self-harm, and suicide. If this has happened in your family very recently or to one of your friends very recently, we wanted to ensure that you were forewarned before listening to today's podcast, as this could bring on a strong emotional response or what is known as a trigger. We want to ensure that all of our listeners at Anishinaabe Babes are well taken care of, and we hope to continue to support your wellness and your journey to wellness. Nicole Richmond is a member of Big Tigong Anishinaabeg First Nation and her work is grounded in Anishinaabe worldview. 
She completed her undergraduate training in political science and philosophy at McMaster University and obtained her law degree from the University of Toronto. On graduation, Nicole was awarded significant university-wide leadership awards, the President's Award for Excellence from McMaster and the Gordon Cressy Award from University of Toronto. In addition, Nicole studies meditation, consciousness, energy healing, and restorative practices. Nicole was called to the bar in 2007. In her legal career, she has worked at a litigation boutique in downtown Toronto, at an Aboriginal and Treaty Rights boutique law firm, and at full-service law firms in Thunder Bay. In her administrative career, she has worked as the Indigenous Education Lead for a school board and in the justice sector for a First Nation political organization. Nicole's experiences have showed her that people are ready for change. People want to do things in a totally new and different way. They want to infuse principles of love, respect, and compassion into their work and their relationships. This is where Nicole steps in. Nicole provides professional and technical support that is grounded in holistic practices, Anishinaabe values, and emotional intelligence. Nicole's objective is to build understanding of the big picture and help others develop attitudes, skills, and tools that evolve current practices. Welcome to Anishina Babes. We are so excited to host you today. Um, so to start, can you introduce yourself in our language? All right. Bujo, Ganil Kwed Nadishnikas, Ganu Dodem, Bigik Tagong Nishnabik Nodunjaba, and I live in Marathon, Ontario, on the north shore of Lake Superior. Kichigumi, and I'm Anishinaabek from Biktagong Anishinaabek. My English name is Nicole Richmond. Beautiful. Welcome. So can you share a bit of your story with the Anishinaabek's listeners? Sure. Um, so I'll just give you a little bit of background about myself. I work as a lawyer um, I call myself a wellness specialist and a lawyer. So I've developed my own Anishinaabek sort of law practice that really helps people build their own systems of governance or ways of thinking, being, doing, seeing. And we build laws and, and guidelines for healthy work environments or for you know, education programs that are guided or, or um, developed based on our own Anishinaabe principles. So I have a really cool career. I work uh, from home. I'm also a jingle dress dancer and I spend a lot of time in the bush. I um, 
I'm currently taking a chainsaw course. I spend a lot of time hiking and, and being with the forest and being with the water. So I, uh, I'm living a really cool life where I have achieved a lot of balance and I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. So um, the grief issue. So I got married to my husband Corey Crow. He's a member of Alderville First Nation. Um, we got married, we got together in 2007. I had just finished law school. Corey and I met in October. Uh, I had just finished law school and become a lawyer. I had become a lawyer in July and I met him in October. So I was a brand new lawyer. And he was a little bit older than me and he was living in Alderville First Nation. And um, we got married in 2010. We did a lot of really cool adventures together. But Corey um, was always uh, suffered from compulsions. So he was, he would work out compulsively, he would um, drink alcohol compulsively, so he couldn't stop. And he also suffered from a lot of sadness. There was always a feeling that Corey was angry or had some feeling hanging over his head that he was never quite talking about or he was never quite sharing with me. And um, in 2013, we actually broke up for a period of time. We were not getting along well as a couple. There were just a series of factors and we broke up. Um, and during that time, Corey, I was living in Thunder Bay. I was practicing law at a law firm there. And Corey was in Southern Ontario. He went back to his curse nation, his, uh, to Alderville. And during that, we were apart for maybe four months. And during that time, Corey actually quit drinking and he started to really work on himself and we got back together. And um, one of the things I had committed myself to when we got back together was to really stand by my partner, no matter what, because he had put all of this effort and work into his res resolving his difficulties. And it never occurred to me that a person that just stops drinking isn't actually dealing with the underlying causes of addiction or compulsion. And um, I found out later that Corey had begun to, or continue to, or I don't, I don't know, but use drugs pretty seriously. And in 2000, and I guess it would have been in 2018, the Williams Treaty Settlement process happened. So Corey got a surplus of $70,000. He got $35,000 in, yep, in September. And he got the second half, $35,000 in March. And by May 2019, Corey had no money left. Wow. And yeah, yeah, I, uh, I look back at pictures of Corey two years ago at this time, and he was haggard and he was morose and he was skinny and his skin looked really gray. And I see now that he was really suffering and he was starting to be really angry. And I realize when I look back now that he was very deep into an addiction and I'm sure, you know, based on the amount of spending, it was probably cocaine. Cocaine was probably the primary drug. And, um, we were dealing with a lot. So we had just, we were moving, we, we were living in Thunder Bay. I had just, Corey really, really wanted to be back in the hometown of Marathon, my hometown. He felt safer there. He liked it more. So I was leaving my law practice and I was going to go out on my own. Our dog, George, our golden doodle dog, George got hit by a car and he had to have his leg amputated. Yeah. Um, we were living in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful house, which was not selling. It was on the market for like two months. So there were all of these pressures and Corey was broke, notwithstanding that he had just received $35,000 and he was under a lot of pressure. So he, anyway, the shorts, the, the long, the, the end result here is Corey got me home to marathon. Whereas I, I think he needed to get me to a safe place. And two days after we got to Marathon, Corey, um, he hung himself and he died by suicide. So on July the 6th, 2019, I was, uh, I asked Corey if he wanted to come to the Pick River powwow. We had, we had planned our trip so we would 
have moved back from Thunder Bay to Marathon just in time for the Powell. We had lots of family and friends visiting. Mm -hmm. And um, Corey was supposed to come down for the supper break and he wasn't showing up. It was like mm -hmm. six o'clock and he wasn't showing up. And where I was, I didn't have cell phone service. So I, I got in my car and my best friend, Julie, she told me later, she said, Nick, you know, I would have gone with you. You know, I would have gone with you. Mm -hmm. Corey wasn't, you know, answering his phone. So I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go and see him. And I'm going to go see what the heck is going on. Cause I had left him because he, he was tired out from the move and he didn't want to come. And he said, I'll come down. Don't worry. Like I'll come down. Don't worry. And that was mm -hmm. a typical thing for Corey to do. It wasn't. And, uh, and when I got home, he was dead. He had, he had hung himself in the shed. So it was pretty mm -hmm. terrible. It was a pretty terrible thing to find your husband mm -hmm. I think what was it, it was just a feeling of like okay his life is over number one and number two he chose for his life to to be over and for whatever reason he was whatever was whatever demons he was dealing with there was a choice that he made that he could no longer battle with whatever what whatever was going on with him. And so he chose to the extent that he had capacity to make that choice. I mean, you know, who knows what his mental health was at that point to, to die. And, and whenever I think about this, there, there's always like a catch in my heart, you know, the moment where you think as much as we loved each other and we loved each other very, very deeply, it was a love um, that I don't think a lot of people get to experience. So we loved each other very deeply. And I know in Corey's heart that he would have wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. And I think about the addiction that would have been compounding years and years and years. And he's married to this opinionated, bright lawyer who just wants to do good for humanity. And meanwhile, he's coping with these demons that he knows he can't beat. And then I think about the sadness of, of him just deciding, can't do this anymore, and I'm going to go. And I think also, we have a lot of conceptions or ideas about suicide, and that that's a failure, or that, you know, that's an unnatural death. And yes, I agree that it's an unnatural death, right. But I think to get to the point where you are so beat down with life, or by the, the lack of choices, or your inability to move through whatever it is, that's sitting on your chest that you can't breathe you can't find your way out you're confused to make the choice I think in Corey's defense or in Corey's mind he would have thought that I'm doing Nick a favor and because I love her I don't want to do this to her anymore and I think after he died um I was in shock of course and yeah. and I remember like just being like he's on drugs like this of course he was on drugs like like that's the only reasonable explanation and it was crazy because then I started finding paraphernalia in his mm -hmm. truck and in his pockets and finding like pens that were you know sawed off that were presumably used for snorting and just mm -hmm. it was terrible and then to find out that he had absolutely no money. In fact, he was indebted severely to his aunts and to his grandmother and he was overdrawn and he had this like bouncing check scheme that he was running with one of his friends. I thought, oh my God, what a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. It was like jumping into an alternative reality, like ripping off your perception of what you think is, is true and real. Like I knew my husband was unhappy and I knew he was diff having difficulties, but I thought we'll get him home to marathon. That's where he wants to be. I'll give up my law practice in Thunder Bay. I'll go home and I'll do this for him because this is what he wants. But I really think his plan was to get me home to marathon because I think he had this plan in his head for a long time and he wanted to get me home to marathon where I would be with my family and, and he knew that I would be safe to go through the difficulty of, of the grief process. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So this is, I know I'm, I'm saying this like a technician, right? Like I'm, I'm saying this without a lot of emotional, like I'm not having a breakdown, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's been a lot of practice and it's been a lot of 
I've, I've had to think about this in a lot of different ways until I was able to find peace and to be able to talk about this yeah. without, um, without completely losing it or without feeling completely overwhelmed by emotions. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really important um, is to talk about it, right? Because um, suicide is often viewed as very taboo in yeah. our native communities, but yet we have the highest rates of suicide in our demographic. Yeah, and so it was interesting because I had scheduled some gigs and so I was going to Webequay and my, my client kept texting me and I wasn't gonna tell him, you know, my husband just died, I can't do it. It was one month after. So I flew up and it was my first time going out into public since, you know, outside of Marathon and I, I got a hotel and I went to the mall and I dealt with all of these things. It was really overwhelming because when you're grieving, you lose your protective layer. You just don't have what it takes anymore. You go in and you feel everything and you see everything, you hear everything. It's very tiring. And I think when people are grieving, you need to let them rest, <laughs> like rest yes. because you need to recharge. Like I remember one of my friends said, grief, when you're grieving, it's like a surgery. You need a good nine months just to heal your body. And we don't think about it. We think about it as an emotional pain, but I, I it was a very physical process for me. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Webequay, they were dealing with the suicide in one of the local communities and they were mourning at this conference that I was going to. And I wanted to say, because I was the guest speaker and I wanted to say me too. And here's my story. But it wasn't that wasn't what I was brought there for. Right. And I didn't want to I, I was there to talk about Aboriginal and treaty rights and I was there to to, to, you know, to, to give these guys a pep talk about how important their Anishinaabe and Nakanagewin is and their relationship to the land. Right. But um, I haven't, I haven't yet talked openly about suicide because mm -hmm. it's, it's not necessarily my uh, hang up about it, but I feel like my husband's family is still very tender about it and they really blame me or mm -hmm. uh, did blame me or continue. I don't know. I, I don't maintain relationships with them because they were pretty toxic about it, about blaming mm -hmm. me and saying, why did you leave him? And didn't you know? And why didn't you do more? And I'm like, I loved the guy as much as I could, I could love him. And if he wasn't talking to me, all of my friends are counselors and social workers. And if he wasn't talking to them, he just wasn't going to talk. And right. I, and I do think we do need to have more open conversations about suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the person that's going to say suicide is okay because I don't, I don't, I don't want to have any value judgments or I don't want to associate any normative to say there's a hierarchy or there's morality that's like better or worse, but in mm -hmm. Corey's situation, I think because I love him, I could only understand that in his mind, he would have only acted out of love and respect for me. Yeah. And I, and I'm not saying in every case it's, it's justified for people. And I'm not even saying it was justified in Corey's case, but that's the explanation that I know he would have parted with was like, I love my wife so much. And I, I his belief, and I'm not saying it's a true belief, but in that moment, he had enough of a belief to say, she's better off without me. And this is, this is what I'm going to do. Sad. It's sad. And mm -hmm. I've never been, you know, so overcome with depression or anxiety or, you know, all of these things that my husband was coping with are secondary to childhood trauma. Right. So mm -hmm. to the extent that my husband's family blamed me was just a deflection of their, they were with Corey 35 years before I even showed up, you know, yeah. and I think you can't, you can't blame, I probably extended my husband's life because I was loving and supportive and kind. And, and I always did everything that I, that I thought was in the best interests of us both. But I think people feel guilty for, for other people's life choices. It's hard, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to navigate. I don't really think there's a right answer that we understand yet with respect to suicide. There are definitely more conversations that we need to have. Yeah, for sure. So our topic today is um, healing grief. 
So what do you feel helped you move through your grief process? Yes, I was already very advanced on my spiritual journey at the time. And so my primary belief, even when I found Corey, when Corey was dead, I knew instantly that Corey's journey was done. His job was up. I knew because I had committed myself for so many years to loving him that it was not my responsibility that like I immediately absolved myself because I had loved Corey very deeply and done everything that I believed that I could do to help him. Um, so I never felt responsible. And I think, I think that is a major, major, major step ahead that I, I think I have against a lot of people, not against, it's not a competition, but because I never blamed myself, I think I was able to springboard ahead more quickly. So mm -hmm. a lot of the things that I did, um, I was very vocal with my, you know, friends, my Facebook friends, I think because I had dealt with death so awkwardly around other people. I never really knew what to say, how to say it, what people wanted. So I was very clear, like, number one, please don't hug me. Number two, if you see me in public, don't talk about death. Don't start crying. Don't make a big deal. It takes so much energy for me to be at the grocery store. Please don't make a big deal out of the fact that I'm there. And, yes. and exactly. Right. And yes. number three, like I just wanted to people people to know that I was okay and springy happy Nikki you know I didn't know where she was I lost her for probably a good a good six months I was exhausted I was so tired but I wanted to let people know that I was okay and I knew that I was okay I knew that I was okay and I think what I needed to do to get myself through the biggest gift you can give yourself is to go through what you're going through without judging, mm -hmm. which is to say, if I need to lay in bed and just take a nap for three hours in the afternoon, because I am so tired and I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything to justify being tired, but I am like on a cellular level, I have shifted through so many changes my body like my mind has jumped into a new belief system a new dimensional reality and my body is like is trying to catch up right and yes. I feel like that is what that was what the process of fatigue was mm -hmm. so going through that without judging and also the other I was really scared I was really scared I remember like two months in thinking like oh my god when am I going to feel better I think going through this without putting timelines on it was really, really, really important. And just saying, trust yourself. You're healing a major trauma right now. You're healing a major wound. Trust that it's going to get better. Don't worry if you feel shitty. That is normal. And I think like those were, those were kind of like the key things. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the woods. So I live, um, live on the North shore of Lake Superior in the boreal forest. And mm. I spent a lot of time in a trail by my house and there's a little Creek that runs through and um, through the trail. And all I would do is I would take my dogs. I have three little dogs and I would take them and we would go into the trees, into the woods. And I would just clear a path for the water. I would move rocks and I would move brush and I would move logs and just to feel Nibe running through the forest and just if every day I just made it a little bit easier for her to run for somehow that was very that was very healing for me just to put my hands on the water and then to have the the mud all over my face and um I wore ribbon skirts compulsively for the first not compulsively but like it was just something I needed to do. And when I think about it now, I needed to ground myself to the earth. It was the feeling of the root connection to the earth. I needed that protection because my energy fields were crazy. My whole energy system was upside down. And so wearing skirts rooted me to the ground and, and I really, really needed that. The other thing I wore, uh, I wore a fedora. My Corey and I had gone to Mexico a few months earlier I bought a fedora there and I wore the fedora probably for three months and I remember going to see I only saw I didn't get counseling I never actually did go into counseling but I went to see my nurse practitioner who's my cousin's wife and I was wearing my fedora and she said oh that's a defense mechanism 
And I was like, yes. And I, I remember thinking, she, it didn't offend me by saying that, but I was thinking a lot about, I think I do a lot of energy healing work. And so I was thinking about my chakras and I was thinking my crown chakra is so open right now. I am so aware of everything. I can sense everything. I can feel everything. I'm too open. And it was almost like the mechanism of having a hat on was like a defense you know, it's like yeah. when you're at the powwow and they say, take off your hats when the elders are praying, that's like exposing your head to the, to the universe, opening up your crown chakra protection to the universe. But I needed it the other way. I'm like, I can't handle any more stimulus. I need to just lay low, I need to be connected to the earth. And that's all that I did for months. It's so phenomenally beautiful. Like all of using all of these different parts of creation and, you know, our knowledge and our teachings to yeah. just help you. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it so much. It was really nice. And, you know, I was looking for meaning immediately. And, and so the other thing that happened was Corey died on July the 6th and my dad was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer one week later. And it's interesting for me because my dad and my husband like they would fight with each other about who could take better care of Nicole. Oh, the fence needs to be repaired. Like my dad would show up at 7 a.m. and Corey would be like, I'm just about to do the fence, you know? Like, it was like, <laughs> like I had lots of masculine protection. And so yeah. Corey dies, my dad dies five months later. And so it was like, just, I was like spinning out of control. Mm -hmm. And I think what was interesting for me was just to go through it, right? Just to be like, I'm not judging this. But it was a real big gift for me to watch my dad die a so-called natural death. I mean, to the extent that mesothelium, a lung cancer is natural, it's not. But I had to really check my judgments about Corey's, Corey was sick. And sick people who don't deal with their injuries or their illnesses die. This is what happens. And my dad was sick, but there's somehow this hierarchy or this judgment or this stigma that like that somehow it's easier to heal a body or that if you don't manage to heal a body and a body dies, then that's something that as a society we accept. But right. whereas if you can't heal a mental health injury and you end up dying, I think suicide is a foreseeable consequence of like mental, severe mental health injuries, mm -hmm. like trauma or anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. people die. And I think I had to go through this over and over and over in my head to be like, my dad's death was acceptable, but my husband's death is not like you need, to, we need to change our minds about this. We need to, we need to realize that these are consequences. Mm -hmm. These are both deaths that result from sickness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, I had to, I had to go through that. And I think the abandonment piece I think was a big one, of course, like here's mm -hmm. my partner, right. For better or for worse. And he leaves me. And for whatever reasons he did that or were justified, I, I, real, I realize now, oh my God, like I look back and I was dealing with so much abandonment and deflection and don't talk to me about this and don't hug me and don't comfort me. But then when my dad died and people wanted to hug me and comfort me, I would just go into their arms and I would just cry. Yeah. But I think I was coping with really, really different emotions because I was like, hmm, you don't want me? Well, I'm just going to move on with my life. And I'm just going to like try and date other people. And I'm just going to pretend like this didn't happen. And this, I don't have a major injury over this because that was, that was a defense mechanism. You know, that was the way that I was coping with it. Mm -hmm. And then here's the beautiful thing to be able to realize all of these things that you're doing and the ways that you're reacting in response to what happens. And so I was really grateful to have a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice or spiritual practice where I was self-aware enough to watch myself go through it. So, so, right. so that's the other thing I'm wondering, like what rituals or practices or yeah. even like ceremony that you use to help move you through, you know, it's interesting. I am a meditator and I've been meditating. I don't know, like at least on average, I would say an hour a day since 2015 ish. But after Corey died, like I couldn't meditate. I was too open and too overstimulated. It was like my neurons or whatever you deal with in a, in a meditation, it just wouldn't work. I mean, of course we went through ceremony. We went through, um, we went through Corey's uh, four day, we call it a chibai, so an ancestor fire. 
So we did that for Corey. That was really important to help him move. <laughs> and on the last night, I, um, I'm pretty open, right? Like anyone who meditates or goes to ceremony, like you're going to develop those skills. And on the last night, it was just, I was like, so I said to my cousin, I'll watch the fire. It's okay. I can do this. And Corey's like, spirit shows up and he's like hanging out with me at the fire and all I could think of was like this goddamn guy even looks handsome as a spirit like get out of here like go go somewhere else you up at your chi by a fire looking like Joe Cool James Dean get out of here but yeah it was funny it was a really funny experience and I think when the fire closed we knew that he we knew that he was gone. And I think that was really relieving because we have so many beliefs about suicide and that a spirit gets lost. So they're going to have to repeat their story or repeat their journey, or they're going to wander around in like the in-betweens forever. Mm-hmm. But Corey didn't. We knew that we knew that Corey was gone. And I work with a lot of people who are very, 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 they know things and they see things and they all knew, no, he's gone. He's not he's not stuck. He's, he's gone. So our, our, you know, ancestor fire was, was really important. Meditation uh, definitely showed up again. Um, Although I wasn't really able to meditate, I was, I teach guided meditation. So my students welcomed me back. We started meditating two months in and I, I started working with them and it was really, it was really raw. I would cry (laughs) all the time. And they, and they knew I had gone through a major thing and they were like, this is our girl and it's okay that she's crying. We love her and we just want to, we want to be there with her. Yeah. Um, I went back to dancing right away. I went back to jingle dress dancing. We do have teachings also that you should put your regalia down for, you know, a period of time, but dancing is my strength and being on this, being on the Powell trail is my strength. And it was really beautiful actually, because I'm a public person and everyone knows Nicole and, um, and people were so kind to me just to bring me back in and just, just to let me be there without judging me and without making me talk about it. And just being like, there's our girl dancing and, you know, we're going to give her third place or, you know, we're going to acknowledge her or we're going to, we're going to ask her to, you know, no one put any pressure. Like I wasn't asked to be head dancer or anything like that, but people mm-hmm. welcomed me and all the Noka misses, you know, they would pull me aside and just, it was like there was like this network of yeah. people that just knew when to show up and what to say at the right time. It was almost like this orchestra of supporters that, you know, that would just know what to say next to move me along. And yeah. I remember we were at Ganugaming Powwow and this would have been at the end of August. So we're about six, you know, six to eight weeks in. And Ganugaming is a community that I work with a lot. So I have a lot of friends there. And Gertie is one of my friends. Uh, she's an older lady and she pulled me aside and she knew I was tired. She knew I was sad and she didn't make me talk about it. <laughs> I cry thinking about this. And I think, you know, because of the way Corey died, you have so much doubt. Was my love real? Was that even true? Was this a real thing? And one of the things I needed to hear over and over and over again from people was that, you know, your husband was a good man, you know, just because the way that he died, we might judge it, have an association as bad or as being selfish. People say it's Mm -hmm. selfish. I don't think it was selfish at all. But that's what Gertie said to me. She said, you know, Nicole, she said, your husband was a really good man. And he was a good man. He was everyone's favorite. He was a kind hearted, loving person. And in my imagination, I picture what it would be like for Corey and I, if we could be together and he's at full steam, he hasn't Mm -hmm. suffered grief as a child, he hasn't suffered sexual abuse. He wasn't abandoned by his mother. He didn't develop, you know, alcoholism. He didn't grow up in a community that was rampant with drug use. And I got him at full speed. Imagine what we would be doing right now and imagine what that would, that would look like. And that's kind of, that's what I hold on to sometimes if I, 
I think like anything in this world is possible, right? We live in an infinite universe and who knows all of the different Nicole and Corey versions of, of us that exist in this like infinite place. Like maybe there is a Nicole and Corey that are making it right now and, and are just fine and, and Corey hasn't perished. But for whatever reason, I'm in this dimensional reality or I'm in this Nicole body where I needed to experience grief in this really tremendous way mm -hmm. and I needed to heal it and resolve it because I think when you're a public person or when you're a person that's powerful and you know Liz you're the same the work that we're doing is not just for ourselves so right. many people are feeling or are benefiting or are resolving through us yes. and the work that we do is the work you know for our community and we love them. And the biggest gift I can give to my community is to be a healthy person. And I knew that I needed to do this mm -hmm. and I needed to do it publicly and I needed to share my experience because I knew how many young women were watching me. Yeah. They were like, okay, healing a major trauma without completely derailing yourself is possible. Yeah. So powwows, definitely, I traveled a lot to powwows. Um, I had to step into a supportive role, of course, with my parents because my dad was dying and maybe that was a, what is that called? Like a distraction. So I was responsible for my parents. And then, you know, like my mom became the new widow, you know, yeah. Julie's dad died during the process. My other friend's husband died during the process. Like we had a lot of losses in one in one period of time. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like I could just, oops, it wasn't that I could just sit there and feel sorry for myself. Life was going on and there were other people that were, that were going through a hard time. Right. So it's like switching from your fedora hat and then putting on your caregiver hat. Exactly. There was yeah. no time. There was no time to do anything else. I had to just, and because my dad was dying, yeah. And I had to preserve his dignity in that process. So I wasn't going to just go there and cry and feel sorry for myself. I had to go there and be like, hey, buddy, want to go for a walk? You're doing a great job. You know, how are you feeling? I had to love him because I felt like all I could do is love him through his death. He's dying. He's clearly dying. He's melting away from a big husky 240 pound man to just this little stick that can't eat. And I thought, I want to give him as much love. And, you know, my sister Chantel, she lives in London. She flew up here to be as much, to be with my family as much as she could. And I know it was devastating for her to, to be away. And we're all going through this. Like it was chaos. It was chaos. And we just said, you know what? We're going to leave our stuff at the door. And this is all about dad right now. And this is all about mom right now. And we're just going to love them. And every time anyone's having a hard time, we're just going to tell them you're doing a good job. And I think, I think anytime anyone told me I was doing a good job through my grief, that was like the most comforting thing anyone could say. Yes. Yeah, you're doing a good job. That's all I need. That's all I need. Okay, fine. If I've, if I've done good so far, it's okay. I can keep I can keep going. I can keep going. Yeah. It was so, a beautiful process. And I know like people are probably listening to this saying like, Oh, my God, that's awful. And it was <laughs> awful. But I, I also looked at it as like, really freaking beautiful because I believe that we plan our lives right like I believe that we come our parents we choose our parents yeah. Corey and I would have chosen each other as soulmates because when I met Corey originally in 2000 when did we meet 2007 he, he was familiar to me I freaking mm -hmm. knew the guy he, he was so obviously familiar to me it's like this is too weird this is too weird so I knew that he was my soulmate and even yeah. times, you know, after we broke up and got back together in 2013, I committed myself to being with him. And I knew on a soul level, I was responsible to see it through to the end. And even mm -hmm. if I wanted to leave, there were all of these spiritual interventions that would happen. 
like I would have a dream of my grandmother telling me to stay in the relationship or there were just all of these things like I just knew for whatever reason this was the path that I needed to be on and for whatever reason Corey's choice to self-destruct was written in the stars way before he came here and I know people will will listen to this and will think she's crazy that's stupid that's not the way it works and that's okay if that's your belief system that's okay but my belief that this was all preordained was really 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 important and I thought okay if Nikki Nicole Richmond on a spiritual level planned this for myself and I strongly believe that I did there must have been a really big important reason so Nikki keep going don't worry about it keep going there is a light so Corey would travel to see me and he would talk to me sometimes and one time he said there is a light at the end of this tunnel for you. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like, but I thought to myself, I'm just gonna, whatever the hell this is, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm gonna feel, I'm just gonna love my way through that experience. I'm gonna love my sadness. I'm gonna love my fatigue. I'm gonna love every time I burst into tears talking to some friend. I'm gonna love the way I have to force myself now to do things like garbage runs, cutting the grass, hiring guys to do my, you know, things that my husband or, or Corey would have done for me. And I'm yeah. really forced in many ways to grow that I, in ways I would have never remotely contemplated, you know, two years ago as, as being a possibility. Like the chainsaw course. Oh God, the chainsaw <laughs> course. Cut down trees, baby. <laughs> so one of the things that I really appreciated um, when I was struggling with grief and uh, when my loss was very fresh and very recent yeah, um, was when people would just sit with me and exactly. just sit quietly, you know, and that they wouldn't offer, you know, like, what do you say to a grieving person? Oh, you know, here's, here's a list of things you could say. <laughs> I didn't want to hear any of those. No. Like, I no. just want, I just wanted the support and I wanted to feel kindness and I wanted to feel their care and I wanted to feel their love for me. Yeah. Quietly, you know, like that almost, almost as if I wanted just our spirits to talk, but not for us to actually talk to each other you know I know so I think I think one thing I I will always like I cried a lot okay oh, yeah. <laughs> like I openly cried I was like oh, here comes another one I'm just gonna let it go and I think one thing that would hurt my feelings if it was that if I cried in front of my sister for example or my cousin Donald and they would mean they would say this with love but they would say is it time for you to get a counselor and I would be like are my feelings that scary Oh, Nicole's crying and I don't have it in me to sit with you while you cry. Like that kind of hurt my feelings, you know? And I think people never meant that in a judgmental way. I'm like, yeah, I probably, I did eventually like, you know, I had help throughout, but I did, did I formally feel like going to a counselor that I had to explain my whole life to? No, I, that was a very scary thing for me. Mm -hmm. And did I need help? I got the help I needed, you know? The, the very best support, of course, my sister and my cousin Donald were both excellent supports for me. And I, they were just saying that because they loved me. But the best support I, I definitely had was my best friend, Julie. And she would do things for me like she would just plan a road trip to a powwow. The guys, the drum would go in one vehicle and she and I would drive together. And she, I remember I was complaining. I wasn't complaining, but I was feeling so sad because I was like, why did Corey feel like he never quite fit in? And, and her sister had recently gotten married to this guy, Ruben, and Ruben was going out of his way to fit in. And, you know, I was like, like, what was wrong with Corey? Like, for me, it was going through all of these things in my head. And I needed to just say them out loud, maybe once or twice, or like three times just to like process, right? And Julie yes. would just, she would never say anything judgmental towards Corey. And so when I would say, what what was Ruben doing like and she would just say well you know Ruben he was pretty special and she would never judge Corey and she would never mm -hmm. tell me what I should feel or what I should do she would just let 
me walk to my own conclusion. Aww. And I remember when I finally got there on things, she would be like, Nick, I've been waiting for you to say this. And I remember, yeah, when I was finally able to get to the point where I was like, Julie, Corey really did love me. She was like, Nick, when you walked into the room, she said that guy had friggin' hearts in his eyes. She said mm -hmm. the love that he had for you and that you had for each other was very special. She said not a lot of people get to experience that. <sighs> but she couldn't have told me that right away. I needed to realize it for myself. And she was a master at letting me, she, she put the nibbles out for me, but she let me come to my own conclusions. And that was the most beautiful gift I think anyone could have done for me. So and I think that's just a beautiful special. example of like how we can move forward in providing support to our friends, right? Yeah. So people are always like, how do I, you know, this is my best friend and she's going through this and what do I do? And I think if we could all just be like her, right? You know? I know. And I think like people would always say, call me if you need anything. And I'm like, I'm never going to call you and tell you I need right. something. People, right. my other friend, Dania, she was exceptional. She would show up and she would say, here is a cup full of soup that my husband and I made for you. And I would love to go for a walk with you. And when you're ready, you give me a call and we'll bring our dogs out together into the bush. And like people that would give me options were so helpful. Nice. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what I needed. And I would never know how to ask for help. So yeah. people that would voluntarily help me. I think another thing that happened was we had just moved back to this house in Marathon and the house was destroyed by our tenant. And so to add to all of these other things that were going on, my law practice and my amputated dog and my husband dying, I needed to renovate my house. And this guy showed up out of nowhere and he said, hey, Nick, I'm a carpenter. I'll build you a custom kitchen. And all you need to do is trade me for your ATV. And he like just he didn't have to do that. There was no reason he didn't have to do that. But it was just like a series of helpful people that just showed up and helped me. And I don't even I don't even have an explanation for how or why that happened. But it was so it just overwhelmed me because I knew people were doing it on purpose. And I'm like, oh, my God, people love me and I don't know how to respond. I don't really know how to live my life anymore. You know, like I. Uh, it was hard. It was beautiful, but it was hard. Yeah. You are. So vulnerable when you are. healing. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do we how do we move from from the beautiful but hard phase of grief into wellness yeah like how you know because like like we said there's no timeline it's no. not like it's not like six months later and it's like okay I am over this now and I am ready to live again you know <laughs> And it's not even nine months later. It's not even a year later. Like mm -hmm. there's no, everyone has a different timeline, I feel. Um, on totally. Their, yeah. And so when you feel you're ready and when you know that you're ready and how do you move from that place to, to I, wellness? It doesn't even feel like a switch or a movement. It just feels like, I remember... My trip to Webaquay one week, one month in was really important. I was like, I'm going to be brave enough to do this. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I go up there and meet and see about Corey, but I'm going to go and I'm going to have put my brave hat on my fedora. I wore my fedora right into my presentation. All those women from Webaquay, like they were just staring at me, right? They're like, who is this freaking <laughs> jokester, right? Like get her out of, get her off the res, put her on the plane and get her out of the res. But one of the most beautiful moments happened was I got into the zone and I was presenting about Aboriginal treaty rights and the history of constitutional law in Canada as it applied to Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And they were translating my presentation to Nishnabe Muin. Behind <gasps> me. Yeah. Wow. So I could hear, I could, I could, I could recognize a lot of what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I could see the people starting to see me. 
-hmm. And I could start to see the power was still in me. And even though I had suffered a great loss, at least in that moment, I was powerful again, Mm -hmm. not because Nicole Richmond is powerful, but the, 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 the Holy Spirit of the universe, Manitou, the universe was flowing through me. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter what, I'm a vessel for the creator and the love flows through me. And I could feel that happened. It was like a magical, it was a magical thing that happened that day. And by the end, all of the women were talking to me and smiling at me and looking me in the eye and they accepted me and they loved me. And, and so I guess the point is to just hold on to the little happy moments and just to trust, oh my God, it is a surrendering moment just to say, I'm going to get there. It might not be tomorrow, but if I have three happy moments tomorrow and I only cry three times tomorrow, good enough for me, you know? And I think also not to judge anything, just to be Mm -hmm. like, I'm two years in now and I'm still crying because it's still sad, but I am not my sadness. Nicole Richmond is not my sadness. I'm just I'm the vessel that's capable of experiencing sadness. You know, maybe one time humans will evolve. So we don't even feel sad emotions anymore, but look at me. I'm fully immersed in my sadness. I can watch it. I can witness it. I can experience it, but it is not me. I'm healing. I'm healing. And how do we move to wellness? I think the best advice I got was from the nurse practitioner that I went to see. She said, Nicole, do one thing. She said, (laughs) your life is overwhelming right now, do one thing. And I was like, okay, I need to heal my emotions. So I worked on that and I started to get stronger again. And probably um, the next year I worked on my physical health, which is where I am right now. Mm -hmm. I had been carrying around a lower back injury. I had carried around back pain since 2013 when Corey and I got back together. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And as after Corey died, I knew that this was emotional pain. So I was like, I'm going to release this. I found a physiotherapist who was able to give me a diagnosis and start working with me. And I'm back to running again. I still do have some low back pain, but seven years of pain has now resolved. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I thank my pain because my pain helped me come to a lot of healers and a lot of realizations and a lot of clearings and just to be able to say I'm going to use my strong emotions I'm going to use my pain as a guide to whatever it is I need to see or experience next I think that was the big that was the big eureka moment for me to be like okay if I'm experiencing pain or if I have um sadness what would you do if your baby was crying? You would pick it up and you would hold it and you would hug it, right? Come here, sweetie, I'm going to love you. So that's what I would do with my back pain. How can I help you? What do you need? I love you, sweetie. And like, I think most people, yeah, most people are mad. They're like, this goddamn back pain or this, I'm so sad. Or I'm like, this freaking anxiety. (laughs) You're not going to heal yourself by judging or being angry or being resentful. You have to love yourself through the process. And I think that was the wellness. Oh yeah. And like, you know, I think because I was already a meditation teacher, allowing uh, my students, allowing me to continue to teach, even though I cried a lot and I talked about myself a lot, they Mm -hmm. held space for me the whole time. And I was teaching them and I was guiding them and they were getting something out of it as well. But that was really beautiful. And being able to receive, I think is a big one too, because we think that we need to go, we don't know how to open and and receive, open our arms to receive. Mm -hmm. If you are constantly holding your hands clenched, how do you, how do you give, right? How do you receive? How do you give and how do you receive? So opening myself up to people that wanted to help was also a big, a big one. Yeah. I think wellness is a continuum and I look at it as a spiral And I don't cry as much and I don't get sad as much, but there are places that I find myself in like dating that I'm only in because I'm a single lady and because my husband died and because my husband chose to die. There are all of these memories or these reflections that come back and, and, Mm -hmm. 
And coping with that over and over again is tough, but just reminding myself, like, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for you, Nick, keep going. And then I planned this all for myself and on a spiritual level, you know, it is funny. It's hilarious. At age 39, Nicole's going to move to Marathon. She thinks she's opening her own practice. Her dad's, her husband's going to die. Her dog's going to have three legs. Her house is going to be disgusting. She's going to run out of money because she's not working. Everything is going to go then her dad is going to die and she's going to be exhausted. And then the COVID is going to hit, you know, like that's a pretty funny script. Like imagine like there's emotional association for me because like, this is my life, but from a comedy level, it's almost funny, right? Like I'll look back on this when I'm 80 and go, Oh my God, that's, we have ideas about like what's good and bad and right and wrong, but like, it's funny. Like, like, I feel like, I feel like the narrator or the creator is like, are you sure, Nick? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, exactly. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's, I let's do this. Experience life. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. And like, that's exactly it. You know, I, if it's true that I planned this for myself, then I might as well just fully immerse myself in these damn experiences and get the most out of it that I can. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to even laugh about this stuff, I think is a symptom of wellness is a symptom of healing mm-hmm. is, um, am I perfectly healed? No. And none of us are perfectly healed. And that's why we're in this human dimension. And right. that's beautiful. You know, I feel miigwechful for every time I have to make a difficult decision or I have to take a leadership role because I'm like every hard choice I make is going to make it easier for the women that come after me. You know, every time I put myself out on a ledge, I open up a law firm and I call myself a wellness consultant. I open up a law firm and my website has me wearing ribbon skirts that becomes a precedent for indigenous lawyers to wear ribbon skirts on their websites, you know, and, yep. and I, I just feel that power is real. What, what we're doing, your Anishinaabe babes, you know, podcast, it's, it, people are going to listen to their and they're going to go, me too, you know, Nicole, yep. me too. And, yep. and, and if this helps one person, that's enough for me, then Absolutely. the whole thing would have been worth it for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. I'm so honored and uh, miigwechful, as you said. Yeah, I'm miigwechful every damn day. Uh, I walked through the forest and I, tr- I touched the trees. And it was mm-hmm. almost like they were waiting for me to come here and grieve with them. It's like the forest yeah. knew that this was all going to happen and they were waiting. And so I touched them and I go, thank you for standing with me through this. Yeah. They knew. They loved yeah. me and I loved them. Yeah the water like superior she knows too you know mm-hmm. we think we're, we don't really sense it yet because we're still really human but I think there's a lot more going on that we don't quite know about yet and and so that's why I remain in in the trust that everything is unfolding exactly the way that it's meant to and so mm-hmm. even if my little human understanding isn't big enough yet to to grasp the big picture I'm still going to remain miigwechful and compassionate towards myself and to say I'm doing the best I can and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for having me. I know we talked a lot more than we were planning to, but thank you for listening and thank you to thank you to Steph. I know Steph wished she could have been here, but mm-hmm. uh thank you for the work that you guys are doing. Like we I love seeing both of your posts on Facebook and although I don't think three of us have ever hung out in person, we will. we definitely will and I think that's the power of social media that's that's able to connect us and and that is super super cool yeah awesome miigwech Nicole okay thank you